You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Augustine, Pascal, and C.S. Lewis, 
and you're a fan of the Beaters and the Los Angeles Lakers, and you currently live in Southern California with his wife Joan, with your wife Joan and your three children, I'm kind of wondering how you have time for anything else. <laughs> That's a lot, isn't it? Uh, yes. I should know something with all of that, yeah. Yep. Now, if my uh, audience doesn't hasn't heard of you, doesn't know much about you, tell us a bit about kind of like the personal story, how you got to be doing what you're doing here. Well, I uh, Nick, I grew up as kind of a nominal Roman Catholic. I uh, went to mass on you know Easter Sunday and and Christmas uh, and all of the holy days, but uh, I really didn't understand Christianity and really didn't understand Catholicism very well. But uh, when I was 20 years old, um, our family suffered a real crisis. My my older brother, who was uh, addicted to drugs and had some psychiatric issues mm-hmm. took his own life and so that really kind of uh made me very interested in asking mm-hmm. kind of the big questions of life mm-hmm. and it was uh, through reading Mere Christianity that uh, got me interested in Christianity and then of course uh, Jehovah's Witnesses talk, knocking at my door made me interested in apologetics and uh, so it wasn't too long until I was uh, very interested in the, in the enterprise of defending the Christian faith. You know, when you talk about your brother having a suicide, I, I just posted some on my Facebook a while ago about how it's a shame the church doesn't really treat issues of mental illness very rare at all. I think that's exactly right. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a big challenge uh, in our country and probably around the world, and mm-hmm. I... I have great sympathy for people uh, and empathy for families that struggle with uh, these kind of challenges. So, yeah. And with the Jehovah's Witnesses, my, I mean, I were at a conference back on September 26th, and my parents who lived next door called me and said, hey, I think the Jehovah's Witnesses were by where you were going. Like, Darn it, they never <laughs> come by. I thought I, I could have sworn my house had a big red X on their map or something. <laughs> Uh, let's get to the topic of the show. I mean, we we know the accounts that the New Testament says that people saw the risen Christ, but we have so many people who they say, well, some people claim that they've seen aliens, they've been abducted by aliens. Even and Kim, when someone presents you an alien abduction story, what's your thinking on it immediately? Well, that's a good question. I, I, I don't dis, I, you know, I don't dismiss people who make claims to uh, have have seen uh, alien phenomena or a more complex situation like uh, being abducted. Mm-hmm. But I, but I do think that claims like that have to be uh, passed through a battery of analysis. You know, I. I, I want to know: Is this claim coherent? Does it mm-hmm. does it really stand up to the facts? And uh, uh, I think oftentimes, uh, you know, when we begin to look at this theory in a in a broad way, we begin to see that uh, the evidence um, is is often very questionable, and the whole coherence of kind of a UFO alien worldview, I think, is. Um, you know, it, it's not terribly coherent. Well, how is it that it doesn't fit together? It doesn't seem coherent, because the skeptic I was going to say, well, you've got claims of Jesus appearing, and he was dead. That seems like 
a crazy claim to us, and yet you got people who personally say they were abducted by aliens, and that's just as much eyewitness testimony, isn't it? So why is that one and not the other? I think that's a fair question. Um, I, I think when we I think when we begin to talk about and think through the the claims of abduction and the various claims of UFOs, uh, what we begin to realize is it's very difficult to uh, have any kind of confirmation of what's taking place. These are often very individualistic type of experiences. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that there aren't various people who have those kinds of experiences, mm -hmm. but it's difficult to kind of confirm them. It's difficult to kind of uh, fit it together into a, a coherent picture of, of, of how these kinds of things would take place. But I don't think that it should be dismissed, Nick. I think right. in reality what we're dealing with is a religious type of experience. Mm -hmm. I think rather than kind of an evidentiary you know, phenomenon, I think really it's, come, it's more of a religious phenomenon. That sounds very interesting to me because I've got a good friend who's studying abroad right now in New Testament, and he did some work on this once and told me about, that many of the claims that we find of alien abductions, the descriptions of what people experience, it actually in many ways matches shamanistic rituals going on in Africa and other parts of the world and says we, there's usually occult involvement going on when this takes place. I think that that, cor that corresponds with my own studies. I, I think that, uh, you know, people who are into UFO religion, mm -hmm. people who see this as kind of uh, salvation from above, you know, the, mm -hmm. the UFO, the aliens are going to rescue humanity or something of that nature. Um, it's it does correspond with what I would say sometimes is belief in the occult. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think if you put a person on the witness stand and you say, well, tell us about your experience, you're going to see that there's a lot of presumption. You're also going to see that there there is some very extreme claims. Now, I I take your point. I mean, the resurrection of Jesus, I'm sure, sounded extremely improbable or unbelievable to many people in the first century. Mm -hmm. But it does seem to me that you've got a series of facts with the resurrection that you mm -hmm. can compare and you can contrast. I think it's a lot harder to do that with uh, UFO experiences and abduction in particular. Okay. What are some of the problems you often see with abduction accounts that make you say, I'm not so sure if this is the case? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, one question I would ask is, how can I falsify this theory? Um, how can how does this theory relate to counter evidence? I mean, you know, my uh, my colleagues at Reasons to Believe would tell you that uh, the idea of space aliens uh, traversing, you know, trillions and trillions and trillions of miles from other galaxies to get here is a very difficult proposition. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would kind of look at the worldview as a whole, but I, but I would also ask, how do, I, how do I falsify this type of experience? Mm -hmm. Are these people credible? And are they having what seemingly seems more like a, a, a psychic phenomena experience, a, a religious or psychic phenomena experience? And I think the answer is it seems more religious or more psychic in nature than it does, you know, somebody 
just observing some some unusual phenomenon. Okay, could you explain what you mean when you're saying that what you seem what you see or hear about seems more psychic or religious in nature? Because I'm sure some people know that these people aren't always worshiping aliens; they're just describing an experience. Why I think it's religious or psychic? Yeah, that's again a, a, a good inquiry. Um, I think that when we see this and we start talking to people who describe their experiences, uh, it has connections, uh, parallels uh, to occult beliefs, Mm -hmm. beliefs in the paranormal, uh, kinds of unusual experiences that aren't seen anywhere other than largely in kind of a uh, an occult type phenomena. And so mm-hmm. I think often the beliefs of the person who claims abduction are rooted at least in new age, mm-hmm. often in more complex uh, occult beliefs. And so I think the phenomenon as a whole and the, and the beliefs of the person, uh, it, it's more like when people claim to see ghosts, it's mm-hmm. more like when people have uh, kind of direct occult experiences than it is kind of, you know, a normal experience where somebody might be a witness to a traffic accident or to a, to a crime. It seems like there is a great deal of presumption. And, you know, I want to ask them, well, how is it possible to falsify your experience? Whereas with the resurrection, I mean, if, if we can discover the tomb, then the New Testament's claim of the resurrection, I think, is, uh, Imparably damaged, but often with abduction experiences, it's difficult to know how to falsify them. What kind of presumptions do you see taking place when alien abduction stories are take are given? Yeah, very good. Um, well, you know, there there are kind of three broad theories about how to explain UFOs and mm-hmm. uh, abduction types of things. Um, You know, some people would say that all UFO experiences are just misidentified natural phenomena, and so there's there's no there's no evidence for alien or UFO type of experience. Other people take what we call a uh, an extraterrestrial view, and that is that these are literal spacecrafts, metallic spacecrafts that are uh, traversing long distances to get here, and so these are some kind of of extraterrestrial physical beings that we're dealing with. A third interpretation is uh, what we call the extra-dimensional way of thinking, and that is to say that maybe these experiences are spiritual, maybe they're psychic phenomena, Mm -hmm. and some leading people who write in the field say that a good bit of, you know, uh, these kinds of experiences, again, kind of overlap with uh, psychic religious experiences. So what kind of presumptions do they have? Well, oftentimes uh, they they believe, ha- they have direct beliefs that are similar to people who believe in uh, the UFO religion. So uh, it could be beliefs in various supernatural realities, or it could possibly be uh, beliefs in, you know, beings that are physical. But, but again, I think the experience that is described still seems more more like a religious experience than it does just a normal uh, or an extraordinary type of experience. How does it seem like a religious experience exactly? What, what are these people usually 
undergoing that seems religious? Well, they um, they often have uh, you know experiences that that would be similar to people in the occult. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be you know kind of psychic experiences. There may be uh, any number of beliefs. It's it's not like uh, their beliefs would be naturalistic or or Christian in orientation. Uh, they would believe in any number of you know types of of religious beliefs and practices, and so um, I think that uh, I, I again I think the best way of kind of explaining this phenomenon, especially if you look at the UFO religions, you look at the Raelians, mm-hmm. you look at the various groups, their kind of worldview and their belief system uh, seems more mystical. It seems more psychic than than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've. I was just in fact thinking that there are some cases, of course, where people do see things that are unusual and hard to explain, even for some of the hardest skeptics. Right now, I'm thinking of uh, one story I read recently, and it definitely resonated when I saw it, this story. I'm sure you've heard of a Charles Witted UFO encounter with Captain Clarence Charles seeing a UFO, supposedly. And yes. Yeah, I, I know it story very well because... I I actually knew his wife growing up, so I I saw that. Oh wow! Okay, I I know this guy. There are a lot of things that even if it's not abduction, people see things, and no doubt they are UFOs and that they're unidentified flying objects of some kind. What should we be asking ourselves when we hear these kinds of stories? Yeah, that's that's uh, again a very good question. Let me let me simply add that I think uh, the kinds of experiences that these people would have that would be similar to the occult would involve things like channeling. Uh-huh. Uh, there would be belief in you know some kind of medium, um, psychokinesis, automatic writing. So these are very similar type of beliefs or practices that we find in the occult. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think when somebody asks us about this, um, you know, I immediately would would raise a number of questions with people. I would say, you know, is is this a coherent worldview? Does it hold together? Do these mm-hmm. beliefs uh are are they really well established? And, you know, is there any way to counter them? These are those kind of tough questions that I think people should ask. And, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, I believe that when people have these these types of beliefs, it's possible that, you know, uh, we're talking to somebody who is either distorting or maybe somebody who um, has deep misunderstandings. But I do think that there is, there is a, a religious type of experience, and I think mm-hmm. some of the phenomenon of UFOs is difficult to explain purely naturalistically. Mm-hmm. So I think we need a heavy dose of skepticism toward everything alien and UFO, mm-hmm. and I think we should do a little comparing and contrasting of, of is this a religious phenomenon? Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about the channeling and the automatic writing and such, I was thinking immediately about the book When Prophecy Fails, about the group that uh, was convinced that the aliens were going to come and deliver them before they pretty much wiped out the earth, and then when it didn't happen, well, lo and behold, this group was just so pious that 
the Earth was saved anyway, and it, it was meant to be an example of cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's interesting. I, a student of history, I, I have two history channels on my my TV, and I'm, I've noticed that um, uh, the history channel devotes a, a lot of time to beliefs about aliens, aliens who came, you know, in the ancient world and and helped humanity kind of develop certain technology and things like that mm -hmm. it it really does seem to me that um, this is an alternative religion it's an alternative worldview it's an alternative religion and uh, you know they are looking for salvation but instead of salvation coming through uh, the person of Jesus Christ it comes from UFOs and alien beings that will rescue humanity so this is uh, I mean, it may seem strange, it may seem unusual, some people may scoff at this, but I don't think that we should. I think we should really take this seriously because a lot of people gravitate toward some kind of uh, extraterrestrial explanation. And, and even NASA, uh, they have the SETI program, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that SETI believes in UFOs, right. but there is this question about life in outer space and how do we best you know, is there any way of knowing that? And and so there's kind of a crossover between UFOs and extraterrestrials. Yeah, well, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to the Deeper Wars podcast. We are going to have an hour show today, as much time as Ken's able to give us today. So today we're talking about alien abductions and resurrection. But if you're listening next week, we're going to have uh, we're going to be talking about coffee some, although right before we talk about tea. More specifically, we're going to be talking about Coffee with Jesus. We're going to have David Wilkie on, who does the popular comic strip Coffee with Jesus, and we're going to be talking about art and apologetics. What can Christians do in the world of art if they're artistically talented, much like my wife is, to advance the kingdom of Christ? So uh, I hope you'll be listening next week. But now we're going to get back to our talk with Ken Sampras, and you know, I'm so glad you mentioned the History Channel, because inevitably, whenever anything like this comes up, most of us think of Giorgio Tsoukalos, and for anyone who doesn't know, that's the guy on the History Channel with a crazy hair, who pretty much seems to think aliens yeah. are the answer to everything. <laughs> I, I know you said yeah. we, we should take things seriously, but sometimes it's kind of hard to take it seriously. It has become a joke online. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, a lot of the stuff is very difficult to to to, to take, you know, mm -hmm. to be credible. Uh, but but again, I think if uh, if a person kind of rejects Christianity, but they also kind of reject purely a secular worldview, mm -hmm. you know, there is this kind of mystical kind of conspiracy theory kind of way of thinking about this, and so. Mm -hmm. Uh, UFOs are very popular uh, in in you know a, a good percentage of the American population, and mm -hmm. and a lot of people think that UFOs in some way are are a, are are a reality. So uh, even though it seems kind of kooky and strange, um, I think it should be taken seriously, and that's why Hugh Ross and Mark Clark and I wrote that book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, because we wanted to offer uh, Hugh as an astronomer. Uh, Dr. Clark is an expert on uh, the United States uh, uh, government, and I kind of come in and look at the religious aspects. So we wanted to try to give a 
a credible view of, of thinking about this phenomenon. And mm-hmm. so I do take it seriously. And when people say they've seen things, I don't necessarily discount them. Mm-hmm. But I do want to ask some tough questions. Yeah, I, I can understand someone being skeptical of the resurrection appearances. And in fact, if they weren't skeptical, I'd probably be even more concerned. Right? I mean, if I just go on to him, yeah, Jesus appeared. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I can believe that. Wait, you should have some questions here. And so I'd want people to be skeptical of the claims of a resurrection and study them, and be skeptical of the claims of alien abductions and study them. Could one of our major difference between alien abduction claims and claims of a resurrection be also that very few of these abductions involve groups, as it were, being abducted, whereas with a resurrection appearances, you have 500 people at one time seeing them. Yeah, I, I do think that that is uh, different. I mean, there are people who uh, there are a number of people who claim to have been abducted, but oftentimes they are very isolated. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it might be a, you know two people. Often it's one person. I don't know that there's anything like a you know a a large group of people that have uh, testified to uh, this kind of abduction. And from my point of view. It seems like abduction is one of the later stages. That is, you know, if you if you look at the kind of UFO alien phenomenon, it's one thing to see maybe strange lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. It's it's another thing to have a close encounter type of experience. And I think abduction would be even a, a more unusual, a more developed type of uh, phenomenon. And so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the resurrection and alien abduction differ in in a number of ways. And one of them, I think, would be, uh, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, more than 500 brethren at a single time Mm -hmm. seeing Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, you've talked some about the incoherence also in your mind of the uh, alien religions and such. Is there anything that seems automatically incoherent on the face of it about claiming aliens, even before we get to the religious aspect? Are there any problems that we encounter there? Yeah, I, I guess I would go back to that kind of, you know, three views of explaining the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people who are connected, uh, you mentioned the gentleman that's often on um, the History Channel, often they embrace the extraterrestrial interpretation that these are real physical beings, metallic type crafts, they're they're coming from, you know, some maybe some other solar system, some other planet. Well, there are problems with that theory in and of itself. Uh, one as I mentioned, uh the tremendous distances. Uh Hugh Ross would suggest again an astronomer that uh, it would take multiple generations of aliens to, tra- to traverse the kind of distances that we're talking about. Um, and, of course, you would ask, well, what kind of technology do they have that, you know, would allow them to, uh, uh, you know, have that kind of uh, reach, if you will? You, you also have other questions that I think that are, are appropriate to ask, Um you know why would they why would they invest the time in in uh humanity and i think when you begin to to look at kind of the broader et extraterrestrial kind of worldview um it it doesn't seem to uh it doesn't seem to be a 
a view of reality that corresponds with well-established science. It, it doesn't. It seems to be more of a strange phenomenon rather than any kind of rational phenomena that that can really be put to the test. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, scientists should take claims seriously enough to say them. I mean, I have no op- opposition to SETI going on, for instance. But at the same time, are, are there any major scientists you know that are just out there saying, okay, yeah, we are really fully convinced right now that there are extraterrestrials out there? Well, I, I guess I would put it this way. I, I, I think that, um, you know, I think if you go back to somebody like a Carl Sagan, who mm-hmm. did the, the original uh, Cosmos program on, on PBS, mm-hmm. um, you know, several decades ago, there was a strong belief that maybe there was uh, life everywhere in the universe and uh, uh, that we should expect to uh, discover, you know, the existence of extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. However, that view has been been critiqued. I mean, people have uh, come along and said, if evolution really did produce humanity, then why wouldn't it produce, you know, uh, beings in you know, throughout the solar system or th- throughout other solar systems or throughout the universe. I think, however, people in the scientific community have recognized that uh, the Earth is a pretty special place, that there are a lot of fine-tuning scientific elements that make mm-hmm. Earth and life on planet Earth uh, very unique. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, there there are people who hold out belief that, Maybe there is extraterrestrials, but maybe there's no way they can contact us. Maybe there's no way they could ever uh, connect with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other people would say that uh, it may be that the rest of the u- rest of the universe is not habitable. But scientists have a lot of, of theories about extraterrestrials. But usually, when it comes to UFOs. Uh, they reject that idea. But I, but again, I would tell you, and we discussed this in our book, Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, uh, some of the phenomenon of UFOs is very difficult to explain purely naturalistically. That is, mm-hmm. most of it, I think, can be explained naturally. Maybe 90, 95, maybe 99% could be explained naturally. But there is, there is this kind of residual experiences that again, struck me a lot more like being a religious experience uh, and very difficult to explain from from a purely secular or naturalistic point of view. And when you were talking about what Carl Sagan said, I couldn't but think of where C.S. Lewis once said, since you're a big fan of his, you might remember where he said this, something along the lines of that uh, there was a time when people were saying that that Earth was unique, that this is the only place where life is, and we said, well, see, that that damages the case for theism, because if theism were true, you'd expect there'd be life everywhere instead of a universal uninhabitable. And then, if we found that life was everywhere, but our planet wasn't unique, they'd say, well, see, that goes against the case for theism, because there's nothing special about our planet anymore. And what we're saying is, any way you interpret the data, they're going to say theism loses. (laughs) I think that's you know I think that's a, that's a that's an interesting point. I mean, there are people who would say, no matter what the phenomena, you know, if there's if there's no extraterrestrial beings, then that counts against theism, 
and toward you know naturalistic evolution, or if there are beings, uh, you know that counts against theism. Um, I think that's a, there's a lot of presumption there taking place, but I can't rule out. I mean, yeah. moving from UFOs to the question of extraterrestrials. I mean, even Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century raised the question, could God have created beings in space? And, uh, you know, that, so Christians for centuries have considered that could creation be more complex than what we know it here on planet Earth? And, uh, you know, I, I think there are challenges to that whole question. I mean, and, and Thomas Aquinas recognized that. He realized, well, if there are beings in other worlds, and if they're conscious beings, would they be, would they rebel? Would they be sinful? Mm-hmm. And then how would Christ somehow reach them with atonement? So um, it's interesting to me that even in the Middle Ages, uh, Christians were asking questions about, is this all there is? And, um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think oftentimes people will look at a phenomena and their presuppositions will interpret it their way. And, and that's why I think we have, to, we have to ask people, and we have to be honest about ourselves, right. what kind of presuppositions do we bring to this phenomena? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, to my understanding about Lights in the Sky and Leo Green, it's been years since I've read it, but if I'm remembering correctly, you and Ross and Clark think that a lot of this stuff is really demon activity going on, even making sometimes appearances as these kinds of objects. Is that correct? Well, I I would put it this way. I would say we think that the vast majority of UFO phenomena can be explained purely naturalistically. Maybe it's a misidentified natural phenomena or a misidentified, you know, spacecraft or something. But we do believe that there is a small percentage of of reports and experiences that are very difficult to explain, you know, just naturalistically. And we think that there is some kind of parallel uh, to religion, and the religion is usually some kind of occult or psychic religion. So we we then raise the question from a Christian worldview, could there could there be a demonic presence here? And um, again, when I've looked at some of the data, it's very weird. It's very strange. And the only the only connected area I can find is in kind of occult religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast here, and everything we do on our show is listener supported. All the work that you do that we do here and and right now, if you've seen my Facebook, you know we're talking about transferring our site over to another server due to some trouble we're having. And yeah, that caused something. And I am still working on my own education. That caused something. And we would really appreciate if we could get the support of listeners out there. If you go to our page at deeperwaters.ddns.net, you'll see a link that says Help Support the Work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click the link there, and you'll get taken to... to Risen Jesus, the ministry of Mike and Debbie Lacona, my in-laws again. And you could be asking, did I go to the right place? Yes, you did. You make a donation there when you contact me or Mike or Debbie, someone connected with Deeper Waters or Risen Jesus, and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. They'll make sure we get your donation. We'll be tax deductible. You can support us through Amazon by buying books that we've (coughs) talked about on the show. 
and I have updated that recently, so yeah, pretty much if you've seen it on the show or heard about it here, you can buy it in the Amazon store, through our Amazon store, and we get a small amount of proceeds, and if there's a book that you heard about on the show and somehow I've missed, let me know, I'll do what I can get up there, and I try and get both the paper or hardback version and the Kindle version of Prosper, because I know there are some of you out there that, like me, love your Kindles. And you can also get ebooks that I've had a hand in writing or written myself, such as A Creed for the Ages or Defining Inerrancy or Groundless, a look at Dan Barker and his position. And finally, there's a jewelry store we've got where you can buy jewelry to support us. Guys, this is a good way to get in good favor with the ladies in your life, and I know you want to be in good favor with your wives especially. So buy some jewelry. And let Lena Cluster or myself know you bought the jewelry, and 25% of the proceeds will go to Deeper Waters. Now, Ken, do you have an organization you'd like to have the people donate and support as well? Yeah. First of all, I'd say I hope people will support Deep Waters. Uh, I've uh, I've uh, read some of Nick's work, and he does a really good job. So I hope the people will be very supportive of you Thank and your you. podcast and. Uh, I work at Reasons to Believe, which mm-hmm. is a science-based organization, and mm-hmm. it's uh, evangelical and in its theology, and we have a, a scholar team of uh, scientists. I'm the only non-scientist on the scholar team. I'm the philosopher, theologian. But people can go to reasons.org, and uh, you can take a look at our, our uh, web page there. There are lots of resources, and there is also a place in which you can uh, donate to the ministry, and uh, we'll use your dollars to try to present really good uh, sources uh, for the truth of historic Christianity. Okay, I, mean, well, I do want to thank you also for that compliment and being over the blog. It's very nice to hear. And yes, I do encourage people to support Reasons to Believe. And if you want some more reason, just remember that Hugh Ross was on our show back in April at of 2014 on April 5th, and he talked about some of his books out, but we spent a lot of time talking about Asperger's and apologetics, since Hugh Ross is on the spectrum as well, and it was really a fascinating interview, so I encourage you all to listen to it. But getting back to aliens, this seems to happen many times, a lot of cases in the West, and could it be because We've moved kind of to an age where we disregard stories of miracles and things of that sort, but we do pay very close attention to scientific claims, and aliens are technically a very scientific claim, so if demonic activity is wanting to reach modern man here in the West, doing miracles and such isn't going to be the best way, but maybe... in impersonating as alien beings could be more persuasive. Do you think that could be part of it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think anyone who looks at uh, this phenomenon is going to attempt to try to try to explain it, try to uh, come to, uh, you know, a deeper understanding of it. And I definitely think that, uh, you know, UFOs, extraterrestrial, it's, it's, scientific or quasi scientific mm-hmm. and we of course live in a in a in an advanced technological age uh, an age where science is seen as you know a, a great authoritative voice about uh, truth and reality 
And so, yeah, I, I think uh, if you mix the idea of kind of an emphasis upon science and technology and then uh, you also kind of stir the pot a little bit about, uh, you know, different kinds of uh, new age spirituality and things like that, I think I think that that is part of the explanation. I mean, uh, some of the statistics of people who believe in the reality of UFOs that that number is very high, and and often it's a conspiracy theory. Um, often people believe that the government ha- knows about UFOs or knows about extraterrestrial contacts, but has not told us, and so you know the government is involved in these kinds of things. Yeah, I think. I think all of those kinds of elements help to try to explain the kind of phenomenon we're experiencing. And, you know, to speak to a Christian audience for a moment, um, there is a lot of deception in the world. I mean, the Apostle John says, you know, don't believe uh, every teaching, every doctrine. Don't believe every spirit, but test them. Uh, It's not hard for me to believe that... um, you know, that some religions are a counterfeit and uh, that they are, in fact, uh, influenced by, you know, spiritual realities, dark spiritual realities. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think we have to be very discerning. I think most UFO claims can be explained naturally. I think the vast majority of these kind of cases um there really isn't any kind of ultimate reality behind it. But in some cases, I think there is. And as I said, I think it it's more religious, it's more occultic, and uh, it could very well be uh, some kind of counterfeit because this is very popular. And so with the scientific world and, you know, with uh, various beings from other planets claim to do miracles, I could see how that would be appealing to people. Now, I know you're not Mark Clark, but you did write the book with him and Hugh Ross together, and you did bring up the idea of government being involved in some conspiracy. And my general advice to Christians has been, don't believe conspiracy theories. You need to have really, really, really good evidence before you buy into any of these, because, frankly, too many Christians seem to jump on the conspiracy theory bandwagon and makes us all look really dumb in the end many times. But what are some basic problems with the idea that the government's involved in a cover-up? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. And, and in, in, many ways, uh, in many ways, Nick, I think the, the, the fault of conspiracy theories is similar to the faults of kind of the UFO worldview. I mean, mm-hmm. When you look at some of these kind of big government conspiracy theories and you think, well, how many people would have to be involved in this cover-up? I mean, how many people in the government would have to be involved in covering up the fact that maybe Roswell, you know, people actually saw space aliens and they took part of the craft? And, I mean, well, you know, leading people in the United States Air Force would have to be involved, people undoubtedly in the CIA, uh, the president and various people. So, I mean, I mean, one question that I think is a it's a good logical question is, um, you know, how many people would have to possibly be involved in this conspiracy theory? And what would be the odds that they would... Uh, 
you know, somebody couldn't hold their tongue. I mean, it seems to me when you look at the resurrection, the apostles, uh, they had, they had good reason to, to question or doubt the resurrection in light of the persecution they experienced. But uh, it was the reality of that resurrection that gave them a great deal of strength to stand up to persecution from the Romans and from Jewish sources. I, I would I would raise the question, I mean, uh, how many people have to know about this kind of conspiracy? And then does it really correspond to the facts? And, and what about counter evidence? Mm-hmm. And, and again, that, that good question, how do I falsify all of this? I think a lot of views are simply unacceptable because there's no way to count them false. And if, mm-hmm. and if there's no way to count them false, often there's no way to really determine that, you know, that this is verifiable and it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really glad you also brought up the thing about people holding their tongue. I mean, people would have to be involved in this huge, massive cover-up. And I know Chuck Colson has talked about the resurrections that a dozen of us couldn't even keep Watergate covered up for a few weeks, and these guys, ordinary fishermen and such, are supposed to have kept the resurrection cover-up going up on for so long. And then I think about what Jay Warner Wallace once said, the homicide investigator turned Christian apologist, that, that the best conspiracy theory you could ever have is two people working together to commit a crime, and the end, one of them shoots and kills the other one. Yeah, I, I I think that you know the old statement three people can you know keep a secret if two of them are dead, um, and I and I think that those are you know reasonable questions, and I I think if we turn around and look at the resurrection, and we look at the claims made by the apostles, um, you know if if they had made it up, I mean if if the apostles had made up this explanation, it seems to me uh, persecution would have immediately uh, led some of them to say, hey, this is a hoax. So conspiracy theories, I like what you said, Nick. You need to be, you need to be very careful. Um, Christians need to, to think a lot about uh, being careful in their thinking, because mm-hmm. I think we can persuade people uh, and make the gospel look more attractive when we're careful, when we're cautious, when we don't jump on to bandwagons, you know, and... You know, um, people are looking at us, and they're they're asking the question: Is that person credible? How do they handle truth claims? Are they are they careful? Or, or is there a healthy dose of skepticism in their their way of thinking? So, I think Christians uh, can do a lot of good by showing people that they're very careful in the way that we think, and we don't play fast and loose with evidence. Yeah, I've uh, or fact. Yeah, I've posted a few times saying. You know, Christians, if you uh, go on Facebook and you hit share immediately on a claim without giving it any verification, looking it up or anything like that, and people can see it's false in five minutes just by doing a little bit of research, why should they take your claim seriously about the resurrection anymore? Yeah, I, you know, I uh, one decision I made, uh, Nick, is, uh, you know, when I go on the web, there are lots of quotes, but very seldom do people actually give the reference to the quote. Mm-hmm. And I've decided just to, you know, just to try to be very careful. And I, I won't put a quote up on the web unless I give you a reference so mm-hmm. that you can, you know, if it's, it's a quote from C.S. Lewis or St. Augustine or Gary Habermas, 
you you know that you can go there and you can check the source and you know that I've I've relayed the quote mm-hmm. carefully and um, I think those are good practices. Um, I think intellectual honesty is one of the most attractive elements that can be found in a Christian. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the web makes all kinds of claims. There are all kinds of spooky things, and you do have to be careful. And I think we should be careful and, and again, skeptical in a, in a good sense mm-hmm. uh, of, of any kind of unusual or strange things that we see or hear on the web. And I also like how you brought up the resurrection appearances, with t- comparing it to persecutions. And yeah, if the disciples had just made this kind of thing up, persecution should have really changed their minds. Like, even if they hadn't made it up, if they start getting persecuted, they probably think, talk and think, you know, maybe I really need to re-examine what I believed. But compared to today, if you claim an alien appearance, you could be on the next talk show. It's it's a gateway to fame. That's right. You know that's that's exactly right. And I I think one thing that I do uh, in Lights in the Sky is I I also try to point out how unlike Jesus was with you know people who claim to have uh, alien abductions. I mean Jesus was a monotheistic Jew. Uh, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament, which. in Deuteronomy 18, condemns any kind of occult or New Age-type belief. You know, Jesus wasn't a visitor from space. He had a family. He was a carpenter. Mm-hmm. People knew who he was. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think it's, I think it's important to kind of point out that uh, Jesus' resurrection or ascension, they don't have any of the same characteristics as kind of these unusual UFO elements. And so mm-hmm. I try to point out why Jesus is not a good candidate to be a, a visitor from outer space. And I think someone like Michael Lacone and others would point out that the social context and the historical context of Jesus is totally different. I mean, with the resurrection, we're not just talking about, hey, there was some random guy resurrected, let's call him the Messiah, but that this was someone who made very specific claims and had a very specific event happen to him in an atmosphere charged with religious significance. That's a very good point. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a happenstance. It's not a you know kind of a strange. Uh, it, it is a it's a extraordinary event, but it happened within a particular historical and cultural context. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's also very interesting about why aliens would come all this way, that whenever aliens seem to show up, they always seem to have the exact same message from what I've seen, that all religions are the same, and you are basically God, and things like that. So it's, it's amazing that aliens have traveled so far to tell us exactly what the New Age movement has been trying to tell us for so long. That's that. That's a very good point as well. Uh, the message does seem very similar. It, it seems uh, new age in orientation, and uh, um, you're right. It, it, if you if you look if you listen to the various testimonies, they seem to have kind of a a, a similar spiritual appeal, mm-hmm. and and it's very anti Christianity. You know, mm-hmm. it, it it's much more pluralistic, much more inclusivistic. Uh, and critical of any religion like Christianity that says there's one way to God. Well, for my audience out there who's 
might be encountering someone. I'm sure the uh, one of the first things you'd recommend is reading Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men, and I would indeed recommend reading that book. But when they come to the individual claim itself, other than how could this claim be falsified, what are some of the questions they need to be asking even to the person who makes this kind of claim? Yeah, very good. I I would say, I would ask five questions. I, I would say, does this theory or does this belief hold together foundationally? So there I'm asking the question, is it is it internally consistent? Does, does your worldview belief that backs this, is it is it is it structurally sound? Does it hold together? A second question is, uh, does this theory uh, support the facts? That is, is this belief based on facts? Does it do a good job of of explaining the facts? Often, UFO theories and conspiracies are short on facts. Uh, third, what kind of presumptions are you bringing to the table? You know. For me to believe this phenomenon that you're telling me about, everybody has presumptions. Everybody has a starting point. What are those presumptions? Is there a way of justifying those? Are they, are those viable presumptions? And four, uh, what about counter evidence? How well does the theory uh, explain uh, evidence that goes against their theory? Um, you know, a good theory is able to be elastic enough to be able to explain potentially counter evidence. And then finally, that question of falsification. Um, how would your belief, your theory, your UFO worldview, how would I go about falsifying it? And and again, that brings us back to the resurrection. I One thing that I find very appealing about the message of the New Testament is there is a potential way to, uh, you know, to to falsify Christianity and uh, the Romans and the Jews who were hostile to Jesus, uh, they weren't able to present evidence that could falsify the truth of Christianity. What I want to know is how would I do that for a UFO worldview? And, and so those are kind of questions that I hope Christians can kind of take and. Uh, and can communicate to people who have these kind or claim to have these kind of unusual experiences. I call it kind of a logical tool chest. You're asking really good questions to help people to kind of think through these these unusual claims. I couldn't help but think that your logical tool chest really matches a whole lot of what historians use when they verify claims such as is it ad hoc? Does it have illuminating power? Does it have enough explanatory scope? Does it fit in with the data we know? Things of that sort. It seems like it's the exact same process. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I, I think there are, I think there are rational, informed types of questions, a, a kind of a criteria that we can largely use to to analyze any kind of phenomena, whether it's just claims made uh, by people in the historical past or people who have unusual religious uh, claims. And uh, I think that that's a good encouragement to people listening to us to recognize that, uh, you know, being a Christian and being careful in your thinking and being informed as to how people 
uh, evaluate uh, various claims it can be a, a great thing to learn and use in your you know your discussions with people because somebody will they will raise the question well how does the resurrection differ from the guy down the street who claims to have been abducted by aliens mm-hmm. and that's when I think we can we can lay out some of the things we've talked about on this show well and it's been a fascinating hour, but unfortunately we're coming to a time to start wrapping things up. Uh, if people have been intrigued by what they've heard from you and want to find out more about you and your work, do you have a, a blog or a website place they can go to to get in touch with you and find out more? Yeah, they're, uh, the, the best place to go is reasons.org. That'll take you to the Reasons to Believe website. Uh, I have a... I have a blog called Reflections that is uh, advertised right there on the Reasons website. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I write articles on theology and philosophy and apologetics, but reasons.org will kind of take you to the to the central nerve system of uh, RTB's uh, uh, apologetic outreach on the web. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there uh, any uh, final message you'd like to leave with a Deeper Waters audience today? Well, I, I would uh, first of all, Nick. I would thank you for having such a, a, a helpful and thoughtful show where you can mm-hmm. ask questions, and uh, and I would encourage uh, you know your listeners to to kind of take these things into account and uh, and and use these this kind of data to to share our faith and to talk with people. And and I, I want to thank you for the generous invitation to 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 appear on your program mm-hmm. uh, my pleasure and I hope we'll see you back here again sometime I'd love to do it Nick very very good thank you very much now, I'd like to remind everyone that next week we're going to have David Wilkie coming on we're going to talk about art and the projects and probably quite a bit of humor for him as we talk about his comic strip as well for now I'm Nick Peters and I am signing off